Let's hear now the word of God. I'll start in verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This is God's holy and inspired word. It contains all that we need for faith and for life. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever. Let's go to him now in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which is contained in Scripture. And we ask that you would illuminate our path so that we may walk and not fear, so that we may say with the psalmist, that the word of our Lord is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Introductions are key to preparation for reading any book. They often tell you what you need to know in the very beginning. Do you recognize this line? Two households, both alike in dignity, in fair Verona, where we lay our scene. Many of you know that this is from Shakespeare's first line in the play Romeo and Juliet. Or you immediately recognize the opening words of Charles Dickens' Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Or better yet... Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God made the heavens and the earth. Introductions are key for the interpretation of any book. That brings us to 1 Corinthians. We have already been made aware of the author of this epistle, Paul, who saw himself as of little account, but he had been called by the triune God as an apostle of Jesus Christ, set apart by the will of God. We heard about the recipients, God's church in Corinth, who were set apart by God through the blood of Jesus Christ and declared to be holy and also called to be holy. You have already heard from the author of this book and you have read of the recipients, but you have not heard the last line of introduction until just now, when we read, Grace to you and peace from God, the, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. With these words, you have the final word of introduction and salutation. It comprehends everything needed to properly interpret this book. As Gordon Fee says in his commentary, in a sense, this sums up the whole of, the, of Paul's theological outlook. With this, we move to the doctrine of the text, and it is stated as follows. 
Grace and peace sums up Paul's pastoral viewpoint. I'll repeat that. Grace and peace sums up Paul's pastoral viewpoint. In other words, the grace and peace of God is the summarization of all that will happen in this epistle. When Paul has harsh words to say to the the Corinthians, they will all be spoken in the posture of grace and peace. Grace and peace with God and with His people. So that if they have tasted the grace and peace with God, they are expected to respond in certain ways, in repentance and faith, in the gospel of grace. And subsequently, if the Corinthians follow His instructions, they will be restored in peace with the people of God. Now let us move to the exposition of the text. This is a common salutation from Paul. You have all read something like this as you have encountered the Pauline epistles. However, we normally just breeze on by as if we have to get to the good stuff. But I wish for us in these 30 minutes or so just to slow down and examine these terms just a little bit. Because I think it will change the way we see this epistle and change the way we view ourselves and also the way we uh, see God. In sum, we must speak of uh, of these uh, uh, these four headings. We must speak of, first, the grace... Excuse God's grace. Second, God's peace. Third, to you. Fourthly, the Christological implications. First, let us speak of God's grace. This is spoken of in the very beginning of this verse. Verse 3 says, Grace to you. Grace means favor. Lycana means favor in the Old Testament. Grace means favor in the New Testament. Grace appears 147 times in the New Testament. That is more than love, 110 times. Even more than salvation, 41 times. Or saved, 55 times. Therefore, we can say that grace is abundantly referred to in the New Testament. However, of those 140 times that grace is mentioned in the New Testament, Paul mentions grace 95 times. Of the 13 epistles that Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians speaks of grace nine times in this letter, and another six times in its verbal form, and seven more times in an alternate form. So that makes 22 times that he mentions grace in this epistle. It is apparently very important to him. Paul speaks of grace right at the beginning of this epistle. Right here and two other times in verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. You should know that. In the Greek text, Grace could appear twice in verse 4. 
I give thanks to my God also is appropriately stated, I give grace to God because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus. In fact, that is the translation of the Latin Vulgate. So three times in two verses, grace is referred to. Approaching a definition of this grace, I define it, as many other people have, as unmerited favor. This is particularly unmerited. Can anyone merit anything from God? From the living God who has created you and sustained you and in whom you live and move and have your being. Even Adam in his pre-fallen state could not properly earn anything from his creator. But this is especially true of us in a fallen state where we were dead in transgressions and sins. We didn't earn anything except damnation. We, did, we didn't merit anything except the wrath from which we must be saved. We did not earn or merit anything in our created state or fallen state. But God shows grace, unmerited favor. That is utterly astounding to our sensibilities, isn't it? When God looks down on creation, He sees mankind. He sees nothing but fallen humanity, totally depraved humanity, depraved in every thought, word, and deed. If He were to look, He would see uh, men like Noah's generation described in Genesis 6-5. The Lord saw the wickedness of man. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in all the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to to his heart. Then God decided to destroy that generation, rendering all their deeds upon them. From the first to the last, he would destroy them with a flood. But then we read this amazing line in Genesis 6-8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. He found grace. Unmerited favor. And each person who believes in Christ has been shown the same grace. We should be completely overwhelmed by this thought. We should thank God for His never-changing grace. We should rejoice. It should be uh, at this. We should rejoice over this word, grace. It should be the theme of our hearts. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. This is all of grace. He did not show this to everyone. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Every one of us is fallen. Short, every one of us has fallen short. But praise to God that she, He shows us grace in this fallen condition. 
But this grace is not shown to all. It is shown to us by His eternal election, whereby God distinguished distinguished whom He would show this grace. He could have have shown us no mercy and judged us all, but He decided according to His divine decree to show us this grace, this unmerited favor, and reveal to us the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Not to everyone, because He looks down from heaven and sees nothing but transgression and sin, but He elected some, to show it to us, the unmerited favor of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 speak of this. By grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Even faith is not your doing. It is the gift of God that is not revealed to everyone, so that no one may boast in the presence of God. The second term we need to speak of is God's peace. Peace is the word for well-doing or shalom. If grace was the term of how God deals with sinners, peace is the experience of that grace by sinners. Grace first and then peace. They always follow that order, grace and peace. But this is such a remarkable term. First, peace with God. As Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, God graciously reconciles us and receives us into fellowship with Him through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We once were enemies of God, as Romans 5.10 says, but now we have peace with God. Peace from the wrath of God. Peace from His regarding us as enemies only through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. Secondly, in peace with God, we have all the benefits Christ has to offer in His mediatorial work, justification, adoption, and sanctification. First, peace with God. Second, all of Christ's benefits. When I was preparing for this sermon, I recalled another hymn. When peace... Like a river, attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. Hear that. Not in part, but the whole. Not individual parts, but my sin has been wholly laid upon Jesus Christ, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Even so, it is well with my soul. We rush too quickly past this salutation. and We don't slow down enough to think about this profound message. 
that we have peace with God in and through Christ Jesus. Third, if we have peace with God, we must pursue peace with His people. Paul speaks of this in Romans 14, verse 17 through 19. For the kingdom is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. In other words, if we have peace with God, we should pursue peace with His people. However, I need to say something further. This verse says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father. The Father is often regarded as a wrathful God or a wrathful Father. People say that rightly, that Christ Jesus uh, satisfied the justice of His Father and He was propitiated for us. Propitiation means the satisfaction of the wrath of God. Rightly, I say, because First uh, John 2, 1-2, it says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. However, rightly, uh, notice in this text, that grace and peace are attributed to the Father. It was the grace of the Father that led Him to make peace with His people through our Lord Jesus Christ. In the eternal covenant of redemption, God the Father, in His love to sinners, established and planned the work which His Son uh, would do to grant redemption to His fallen people. The Father authored this plan of redemption by grace, unmerited favor, and that by His grace, He would establish peace with His fallen people. And then, He would apply that gift to them by the Holy Spirit, which was promised to those who believe in Christ. That this demonstrated the love of the Father, that He sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. We also need to speak of the term to you as well. This is a relative and possessive plural pronoun, which means in common parlance, grace and peace to y'all. This is what Paul says, describes the people of God and defines the people of God. Grace and peace from the Father who was formerly estranged from His people but now is reconciled to the triune God because of the work of Christ Jesus. This is what God ultimately says, describes and defines His people. Every harsh word which is spoken of in 1 Corinthians. And there will be harsh words. They are spoken from a posture of grace and assumes that you, y'all, have peace with God. 
They are spoken assuming that the Corinthians know the grace of God and that they will confirm this when Paul speaks harsh words with repentance and faith because they know the grace of God as well and will strive to make peace with God's people. Paul assumes that the Corinthians have experienced this grace and the peace of God and will respond favorably to his words that stem from grace and peace. Uh, Finally, uh, fourthly, uh, these bear remarkable Christological implications that we need to discuss. We read, grace and peace to you, grace to you and peace from God. This is a fairly generic line. The grace and peace are given to you from God. However, it has significant Trinitarian or Christological implications when you add to the mix from the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This leads us to state Christ's deity as spoken of in this passage. First, Christ's deity. You can supply the word from to each of these names, from the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the Trinitarian name of the Father and the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, are identified with God that they cannot be separated. They cannot deny goodness to the Father. Similarly, you cannot deny, excuse me, you cannot deny godness to the Father. Similarly, you can't deny godness to the Lord Jesus Christ. As Warfield puts it, it would not be easy to exaggerate the closeness with which the two names are knit together in this formula. The two persons brought together are not to be sure absolutely identified. They remain two persons, but their equalization is absolute. In other words, this text establishes that the Father is God. Also, they establish that the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is God as well. And that they are equal in power and glory. So that we can confidently state in the Word of God, there is no problem with grace and peace being fully attributed to God, or that the grace and peace of God being fully attributed to the Father, or that grace and peace of God can be attributed to the Lord Jesus Christ, or grace and peace of God can be attributed to the Father and equally to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the implications of this are more involved than just the deity of Christ. As Charles Hodge puts it, it is to be remarked that God is called our Father and Christ our Lord. This is the particular form which piety assumes under the gospel. All Christians regard God as their Father and Christ as our Lord. His person they love, His voice they obey, And in this protection, they trust. Let us look first at the Father. Every Christian, for that matter, every unbeliever in this country, knows the Lord's Prayer. 
which confesses our Father who art in heaven. But only the believer in that prayer says and means the second stanza, Hallowed be thy name. Your name be hallowed. Your name be sanctified. Every Christian confesses that with a whole heart. God is Father, the Creator and Sustainer of all my life. He gives us this day our daily bread. We are encouraged to take Him as our Heavenly Father by none other than Jesus who delivers that prayer to us. We cast ourselves in His fatherly hands and know that He will provide everything we need. But further, every Christian confesses with their hearts and believes that Christ is Lord. Our Lord, who is our Master. And this mark or evidence that you are truly in Christ if you confess Him as Lord. The other day I was speaking with a member of this church. And she, she remarked that it was truly a sermon series on the Lordship of Christ that she believed that she was truly converted and saved. And, and this Lordship is supported by verse 2. Called to be saints together with all those in every place who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or or free man, male or female, absolutely everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. According to Romans 10.9, Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. The declaration of the Christian is that the Lord, is that Jesus is the Lord, master, and the dominant and controlling thing in your life. That person will be saved. But the Lordship of Christ will be demonstrated by by the belief that God raised Him from the dead. If Christ, the Lord, if Christ is Lord of your life, you demonstrate this by believing all things contained in His Word in the Holy Scriptures. And that includes that God raised Him from the dead. And this is a work of grace in your life. That you would believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and that He did this for your peace. I will give an illustration and then we will conclude. I remember one time a woman recounted to me her conversion account. She didn't want to be revealed, so I will speak of her as Martha and her college roommate as Mary. In college, both Mary, excuse me, In college, both Martha and Mary attended Catholic Mass faithfully. Uh, After college, uh, excuse me, however, both Martha and Mary remained unconverted. After college, Martha lost touch with Mary. However, 15 years later, they were reconnected. And Mary had been converted from Catholicism 
to the Reformed faith. Yet Martha was still a member of the Catholic Church, and and maybe she stopped going to Mass at all. Uh, I, I don't really remember. But Martha wondered why her roommate kept talking about the grace of God. Mary's husband had gone uh, Mary's husband had gone through an episode that threatened his life, but she t- kept talking about the grace of God. It was all by the grace of God, she said, that her husband was even alive. It was all by the grace of God that she said that she was able to keep it together. And Martha noticed the joy that Mary was speaking of when she referred to the grace of God. Two years later, as Martha continued to think about Mary's grace statements, Martha finally understood while reading a book, I think, what she was talking about and that Martha was converted, joined a church, and was making daily progress in her faith all because of that grace of God that Mary spoke of. But that is not where the story ends. Martha had gone over to an unbelieving woman's house. Martha had been newly converted and she hadn't been trained in evangelism. And so she just talked about grace. The grace of God which was shown to her in Jesus Christ. And the woman looked at her like she was crazy. Uh, And Martha wondered if she had if she would ever be invited back. As a matter of fact, she wasn't invited back for two years. So life went on until a couple of years later. This woman, the unbelieving woman, flagged her down in her car. She appeared like her house was on fire, so Martha stopped and and the woman said that she finally understood what grace of God was all about that this woman had been converted. Mary knew what the grace of God was, and her husband and family consequently grew up in the church. Martha was an unbeliever who knew what the grace of God was, and subsequently her husband and her family were all converted, and her family grew up in church. And this woman finally learned what the grace of God was as well. And her husband was converted and, by, and, and, and her children grew up in the church. All because they wondered what the grace of God was. If you are a Christian, you have experienced the grace of God. And by that grace, you have peace with God to enable us to call God our Father and Jesus Christ as our Lord. If you are an unbeliever, I would recommend talk with someone to find out what that grace, uh, what that grace is if I have not explained it well enough. It all starts with grace. The grace of God that was shown to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's now go to Him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You that You showed grace to one as unbelieving 
and in transgressions and sins as myself. And, and all the people of this congregation can speak uh, the same, can speak of the same grace that was shown to each of us if we are believers. And I pray that if anyone is an unbeliever in this room, that she would inquire what the grace of God really is, if I've not explained it well. And, and find the grace of God because their eternal welfare consists in that question. Whether the, God, the grace of God has been shown to me. And I thank you for... Uh, I thank you that the grace of God was given in order to establish peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have the ability to, to call God our Father and, uh, the, uh, and Jesus our Lord. And I pray that all will receive a blessing from this uh, message and, and um, take heart in that. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.